Hello and welcome to the 30 Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Hucho and I'm joined by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. Today's episode is our traditional Ed Talk segment where we discuss news and happenings in marketing and in the world's adjacent to marketing. Hey Alex, good to see you again. How are you, sir? Good to see you too. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? How was the how was the trip? The trip was good. Uh am as good as such trips can go. Had to go to Russia for a family emergency, unfortunately, but um I found out that you can actually book a flight last minute and go uh, across the world and wow. uh, even in the case of the pandemic it's uh, pandemic travel it's a doable thing uh, but i am back now and happy to be in this nice weather that is not too warm and not too hot how are things in you uh, for you in oregon i heard Good. it's uh, Good. it's been um hot it's been a rip roaring scorcher uh we hit record temperatures a couple weeks ago which was very uncomfortable uh it was 115 uh here which is not normal which is about 45 to 49 centigrade it was it was gross i'll tell you that it was not fun it was a, I, I also know more about heat domes than i ever knew before and i hope to never ever know about them ever again um yeah it was not it was not good not good the chickens we were running around the chicken coop spraying <laughs> them with water to try and to try and keep them uh, cool and calm. And yeah, we basically spent all the time inside. At night, the lowest it got to, I think, was 77 degrees, which is... Was it humid? It was not humid. It was like a like an hour's... I mean, this is normal, I guess, in other places, but they're built for that. The houses are built for that. The aircon is built for those drastic temperatures and pacific northwest is not built for that like most people don't have like in london most people don't have air cons so yeah. it was we luckily did but it was grossly hot it was a higher higher temperature in portland airport than it was in highest temperatures in vegas and i think phoenix uh and palm springs maybe ever so yeah well back down to like 67 now so that's good adds um adds a little bit of uh of ammo to that whole point about um global warming and also how cities are prepared um to handle that on an individual kind of city by city basis absolutely um, speaking of cities and we might as well just dive into this uh, tokyo go. a big city um yep. is due to host the olympics as we know we've discussed this we talked to uh an actual olympian um mm -hmm. who's going to be participating in uh in the games um in a few weeks and there was an interesting article that I read uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe actually a bit late, uh, earlier uh, this week or last week. The article basically said um, the sponsors have this incredible dilemma that they're dealing with. Obviously, the Olympics in general are the sponsor's paradise, and the way most of the money is made is either through sponsorship or through broadcast rights. Um, in this case, uh, the Tokyo Olympics, it turns out, um, had the most sponsorship dollars in the history of Olympics. $3.4 billion worth of sponsorships wow. were sold. Most of it uh, is being held, most of the advertising is being handled by a single entity, Denso, who Check is taking such a kick in the butt that they had to sell their headquarters to raise cash earlier this week in Tokyo, what? which if you've ever been to Tokyo, it is... Um, this iconic building that was purpose-built for Dentsu, and they had to sell it 
and then lease it back. And the funny thing is they had to lease it back because no one else could actually occupy this building because it was custom built for them. Um, in order to uh, make up the shortfall that they're thinking they're going to experience from this uh, uh, gap in um, advertising revenues. So the sponsors wow. are having this dilemma. Do you actually go forth with your advertising commitments? Um, you forked over all this money. You probably made all the ads and then probably remade them again after the pandemic. Um, yep. You cannot activate uh, on the ground because there will be no fans, most likely. So a bunch of money that was going to be going towards event marketing probably just you know took a, took a wash. Or do you pull all of it completely and just take it as a sunk cost because you don't want to be associated with a super spreader event? You know the perception in Tokyo right now in Japan in general is that the Olympics should not be held. Yeah. Um, the volunteers are quitting. Um, fans who until recently were thought to be allowed to, into the games aren't going to be allowed into the games most likely, although that decision is yet to be made. Um, and there's just like general disdain for the whole thing. People don't think that it's prudent to be hosting the games right now. Um, if you're a sponsor, what do you do? You're caught between a rock and a hard place. You've sunk all this money. Um, you are either going to go forward with it, but then risk being associated with something that people just hate, or uh, you just walk away from the whole thing. That's that's a tough one because I was thinking in my in my head as you're talking, you know, you've you've got it's going to be televised throughout the throughout the world, and you you can make up your your you know your sponsorship that way, but you can't because there are no sponsors in any of the events. So like you're you're sponsoring. I mean. I think it may depend on like what you're sponsoring, but if you've got all of this in village, um, you know, event activation, and you've only got Olympians there, you're not you're not going to make up a lot from that because you're not really going to have anyone passing through and experiencing your activations. And you know, if we had someone from a events, you know, like an events agency, and I'd love to get their their point of view on that. But like, I feel like it depends on what you what you spend. But I would probably be not doing it, not because no, I wouldn't want to be associated with a super spreader event, but you're just not going to get any impact. So you might as well just like cut your losses as, as you can. If you're making ads though, and you've bought, you know, packages through NBC, NBC, yeah, NBC, mm -hmm. then I'd still run that because, you know, in the U S the, the mindset now seems to be pandemics over. We're back to normal. See you suckers later. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the answer is that some of the budget you have uh, allocated towards the Olympics goes towards the global the global advertising or advertising um, to the individual markets. And then uh, you just pull from the in-country activations. And uh, yeah. unfortunately um, for Japan, they will be probably the biggest losers uh, as as most of the in-country revenue would have stayed with them Isn't and now it would be gone. Isn't this the most expensive Olympics as well? They spent like $4 billion on it. Like it's the most uh, it's, Olympics. It's not the most expensive Olympics. Uh, actually, the most expensive Olympics were uh, the Sochi ones and the Beijing ones, which were in the tens of billions. Um, this one is, I think, with all of the add-on costs from the pandemic delays, is somewhere around 14 or 15 billion, which is roughly in line with, I think, yeah. what London was. Uh, but London had to also build a bunch of new infrastructure. Um, so it's expensive, um, but I think it's the sponsorship dollars that were record setting and those yeah. are at risk. And so there's a whole lot of uncertainty here. So we'll see. I assume I assume the global brands will really do what we just said, focus on where they can win and just walk away and kind of write off the losses uh, where they can. 
interestingly, um, and one of the other elements of this whole like saga with Tokyo and their decision-making process, um, you know, until recently, Japan actually was managing the COVID pandemic fairly well. Sans vaccines, yeah. you know, they were pretty, um, pretty well managed. Um, it wasn't until recently that they really started experiencing the spike, but they were dead set on uh, showcasing themselves to the world as a country on the move. You know, like the mm-hmm. Japanese economy has been stagnating for quite some time, and they wanted to present this kind of dynamic, forward-looking image to the rest of the world and also show that they're able to manage such a crisis and stage a big event. The thing that's really pressing them um, is the fact that because they were delayed by a year, the Winter Olympics, which are usually two years removed from the summer ones, are being staged only six months from now yeah. in mm-hmm. Beijing. And yeah. uh, China is gearing up to showcase themselves as the first post-pandemic Olympics. And Japan doesn't want to ha- uh, to give them you know, their arch rivals. They, they don't want to give them the satisfaction of doing that. So they're willing to go forward with this whole thing, despite such massive opposition from their own citizenry um, in order to do this, because brand Japan needs to be a showcase to the world. And if they don't host the Olympics, brand Japan doesn't get showcased to the world. So yeah. that's that's the logic. Yeah, I mean, I think it was they I heard on NPR, I think um, they were trying to basically from after Fukushima, they were kind of trying to come back as like Japan is better than ever. Um, yeah. and really used 2020 as the you know, the relaunch of, of the new Japan, which is like future focused, you know, the the best country, you know, to host the Olympics kind of thing. So, yeah, it sucks for them. It really were, does. J- J- Tokyo was also the only Olympics that ever got canceled, which was in the 1940s during World War II. Yeah. Yep. So, um, anyway, going from one global event to uh, to one that's actually happening right now, uh, you have some England, excitement. England. Yeah. It's coming. What, what, what they do? What did England do this time? They scored more goals than Denmark in the semifinals today. So, England are in the finals for the first time in a major tournament since 1966. And you know what happened in 1966? England won the World Cup. So it's coming home. It's coming. <laughs> anyway, so yes, England won today in a football match. Uh, they sported better than the other team sports. They're more sportsing in the goals. And um, after an, an excellent amount of sportsing, they were crowned sports winners of the semifinals. Where, uh, where was the game held? It was in Wembley. And England Wembley. have played, I think, it. it including the final, which will be held in Wembley, England will play six of their seven Euro Championship games in Wembley, which, which is, is in London. absolutely bizarre. Yes, which, yes, is in London. Uh, yeah. And it is, is England's home, home, home team. Home, home, home field advantage. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the home stadium. Like, I don't, I don't know yeah. how this happened, but because Euros are usually held in a specific country, World Cup is usually held in a specific country, and they go around. We, we talked about this on a previous podcast, but this Euro is held around all the countries in Europe. Um, but I think it was the the draw that England had in the group. They were in England for most of their games, um, which is absolutely bizarre. So home home field advantage. Uh, so this is great, um, but. As, as we often do, we uh, talk about out of home and specifically yes. Specsavers, a, a brand we've mentioned with Excellent Outdoor before. They brought out a new out of home ad with um, It's Coming Home uh, as a, an eye test uh, in mm-hmm. outdoor. 
and it's coming home it's a there's a song about it it's a very english thing to say football's coming home because it was you know founded football was founded in in england um even though it hasn't been home for most of the time um, <laughs> but it's coming home so they did this thing i thought it was i thought it was really i thought it was really smart i thought it was a really excellent sort of like showstopper uh sort of out of home like it grabs your eyeballs um and yeah i just thought it was a really nice piece of outdoor that got put out really quick um by tangerine communications uh in england so yeah i mean yeah. look we we've talked about spec savers um uh just decent amount they're really good at uh tapping into the zeitgeist but like real-time zeitgeist and turning yeah. out um ads in formats that are surprising to us because digital everyone expects it to be responsive the fact that they can, they can put up a billboard overnight all of that is yeah. pretty pr pretty cool uh, i'm sure there was uh some amount some amount of planning or maybe like the the billboard space was bought uh on the off chance well, um, well they're doing front. it programmatically i'm sure they got they're doing it all digital billboards it's all digital billboards it. i'm sure i'm sure it is um uh, then there you go digital billboards programmatic and you know you, don't, you only have to get like one rotation in, in in the you know the six six ad block or whatever it is um but what i really liked is the spec savers always get it on brand like spec savers has this brand of being like reactionary kind of like you know jokey sort of like poking yeah. you um pulling your leg kind of thing and they get it and you and you taught me this is like the intersection of cultural context and brand values and they nail it and i think it's really great because you know the one everyone talks about is always the oreos you can dunk in the dark and that's and that's clever because it was contextually relevant but spec savers it it leans on their brand values and they can put something out that's part of who they are and their advertising which is also contextually relevant to what everyone's talking about at the time. yeah i i, I, really I think important. the way they execute uh these these ads you don't even have to have a spec savers logo to know that spec savers put it out and i think yeah. that's that's what you seek out of good creative um yeah is that sort of alignment with uh with your brand so uh that's cool um i'd be curious to know uh if there are brands in Italy, which will be playing against uh, England in this final, that are doing sim uh, something similarly cool or maybe poking fun at, uh, you know, the whole, like, it's coming home um, aspect or if there is some other cultural thing that they're tapping into. So we can do a little bit of research into that and, and um, report right. on our next episode. If we can get any Italian friends to call us up and, and get us on and tell us, that would be excellent. Absolutely. Uh, please. Um, but um, I think you want to stay on uh, on the digital billboards uh, topic for a bit longer with yes. some of the other uh, updates you I, have for our listeners. I have one. I have one other thing. We talked about this with Craig when we did the whole deep dive into the um, European Stupid European Stupid League. Um, <laughs> when when Craig, you know, out of home specialist, we were talking about the pitch sign advertising, and I said, you know, the next level of that will be green screen on the on the pitch side advertising so that anyone can localize uh, globally. So when you've got a Premier League game happening in England, you can beam messages to each of the countries that are showing it with country relevant and language uh, localized uh, ads. Um, I then saw that the reason it's not green is because the pitch is green and there may be problems with differentiating mm -hmm. the pitch to the billboard, which is a very good point. Um, so that's why they don't do that. But what I did see this week, 
um, is this actually happening? And it has been happening for about two to three years now. And instead of doing the green screen way and, and masking and overlaying on top of that, so you, know, you can key out what it is you're looking at and the mm -hmm. computer can just lay it on, they have cameras set up on, um, I guess, camera stands or they have you know wherever they're mounted on which is connected to sensors all around the field so the this the stand knows where the camera's pointing and feeds that into a computer the camera feeds the visuals into the computer and between them they actually mask out all the um all the people in front of it they overlay uh advertising and then they beam that out so you know, if you're in the US and you're watching on ESPN, you're getting US ads that aren't being shown pitch side. Because I think that's also another important thing is you, you need to still have that pitch side experience because the fans you know, in the stadium make the make the game. But I thought it was really it was really impressive that neither of us and Craig knew that this was happening. Well, you knew, but I didn't. But this was happening right now because it's so seamless. Like the camera moves around a lot. And it doesn't yeah. always move in very, you know, normal directions because of the way the game's happening. And the fact that it's it's so hard to tell, it's impossible to tell that this is actually going on right now, is is incredible. So I was just really blown away by this. That it's the technology is so good that it's happening now, and we didn't even we didn't even realize. Um, um, so. I I I feel like you could you could tell that this is happening because most of the most of the camera angles are from sort of a high vantage point right and they go broadly like left yeah. and right uh, as the game moves but sometimes if there is like um a fight or someone fell down and all of a sudden you have like a um a court side camera or like a field side camera and like yeah. they zoom in rapidly mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're like wait that's not an ad i was like there's something different happening yeah. there you know, that's so true. you kind of see there's some wizardry going on, but I think they're all staking it. I mean, this is really clever stuff. I, what, everything yeah. you said, and then some, like, I think it's, it's pretty incredible and also like a lot more valuable to both the fans and the advertisers. Um, but I think they're definitely taking advantage of some things that are inherently built into broadcasts, like five second delays to filter out, yeah. you know, swearing or anything else that might be happening. And like, it probably allows their computers to process all of this stuff and do all of their technical wizardry that they need to do yeah um i mean but it's, the, it's the end so result is incredible. incredible yeah i mean yeah. it's it's just it's it's valuable i mean you, the people who are making the money are the are the the right the people who are licensing the rights in each of the countries so they're making money for selling that ad space to their country advertisers and then the uh i'm not sure is the stadium owners the premier league who are selling the rights pitch side maybe it's the 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 um i guess it's all packaged up and bundled up into whatever the rights they have for yeah. um tv but it's it's really it's really impressive i think there's one thing that you can tell i don't know how how easy it is but the frame rates on the leds on the mm -hmm. pitch so that's that is one way that you can tell if you're seeing pitch side or if you're seeing mm -hmm. hd overlay it's another one which i didn't even think about which is really obvious when you say it so staying on uh, or kind of keeping things relevant and creating interesting science between topics, uh, staying the on the topic of, uh, of, of technology and new things, uh, iOS yeah. 15, um, it's coming out. Uh, it's not yeah. with us yet, but it's coming out. And we've been hearing a lot about the different nifty features that um, we're going to get there. And uh, there are a couple that I know you wanted to talk about, uh, starting with privacy. Yes. So... You know, as we know from all of uh, 
Apple's latest advertising, it's all around, they're all, they're geared up towards privacy. And you can see that through iOS 14.5, which we're going to, which we have touched on and we are going to do a deep dive into this with, um, with a mobile marketer friend of ours. Um, so we can get the ins and outs of what that means. But what they're doing in um, iOS 15, the one thing that I, that popped out and I had to try and condense it for our, our you know, half hour, 40 minute chat is the hide my email feature. Um, which comes in all Mac OS. And rather than send your real email to email marketing, they will convert that into a random email gobbledygook um, that ties back to your email in your in, in the Apple server and your personal email. So you are giving out a fake email, um, not fake, a, a, a one-off email to this specific advertiser. Um, and then when they send messages to you, you receive that in your personal email. And I yeah. thought this is really great. My, my, my mind went to, this is going to really screw with email marketers, but it shouldn't. It should still allow them to hit you with all the emails and be able to sell you stuff still. And, and tracking, I guess, should be not, a, not too much of an issue. But what I really thought was interesting is if there is a data leak in, in the companies that you've given these emails to, it doesn't matter because they'll never be able to figure out what your email address is and you'll never be able to use that to try and hack any any other platform. So I thought this was a great way to have, you know, very very secure um uh very very secure email without um without risking or losing the benefits you get from the offers and having your email out in, in different places. Yeah, it's a, uh, I, I do think there's going to be implications for marketers. And I think broadly, the what I've been hearing is that marketers are not happy with this. Uh, and oh, since we're, you know, we're, we're here on sort of discussing all things related to marketing, although we're pro-consumer on this show, um, the, the aspect of marketing that I think gets uh, kind of kneecapped is all the things that emails get used for outside of actually sending emails. And especially in yeah. the post-cookie world, which Apple is very actively propagating um, and we'll have a little update on, on the post cookie, by the way. Um, it's, um, it's the fact that you cannot take this, uh, a user's email and, uh, put it into systems that allow you to create models like Facebook, for instance, you cannot take someone's, you know, email now, put it into the, um, Facebook advertising platform and create lookalikes. So you cannot take it into like live ramp or a DMP because it's a one off yeah. uh, Apple generated email and the other side doesn't know who that's tied to, right? So, yeah, and maybe, I mean, for a consumer, that's that's maybe a good thing because when you subscribe to a newsletter, that's literally all you're trying to give your consent to is like, I just yeah. want to get the newsletter. Um, yeah. I don't want you to then take my email and start, you know, doing magic with it. But, um, you know, the ecosystem of content that's free relies on advertising and advertising is not a linear thing. It's not just like, hey, give me your email. I'm going to send you news newsletters it's like, hey, give me your no. email and then I'm going to monetize the heck out of you. So yeah. I think that's going to be tough. That's I mean, I think it's going to be that's going to be every everything is changing right now. So everyone's trying to figure out like what the next thing is and how we adapt. But the if you need to make money from something, you'll figure out a way to make money from it. So I don't doubt that there are people already thinking about how they can take what is happening and then use it to their advantage and and find new ways of of you know, using what they're given to to market to people. Uh, just staying on this topic for just a brief second more, since I said I was going to give an update on uh, on the cookie. So we know that Apple is basically 
axing the cookie and they've been on this drive yeah. because they don't really have a stake in advertising. They don't have an advertising business per se. They do a little bit, but it's not that substantial. Google was going to be following in their footsteps and they've been experimenting with all sorts of post cookie alternatives that we can get we can get into on, on another episode. But interestingly, they get, uh, decided to extend their own deadline by two years and yeah. are saying that the cookie is going to stay for a couple of years longer because they haven't actually figured this out. Uh, and they also want to give advertisers and publishers um, more time, more time to figure this out. Not quite sure, like how that decision um, was made, and like you know what's like what steps were taken to arrive at that conclusion. There's a lot of you know there's a lot of speculation going on. Interestingly, it was the British government that, uh, for all of its kind of concern about privacy, actually told Google that they could not kill the cookie without uh, letting them know first and getting their approval in the in the UK because all of a sudden they realize that there is a whole ecosystem of publishers and other businesses that would be potentially, you know, really hurt by this. So yeah. I wonder if there was something there as well. But that's that's Google's stance, very, very contrasting to the stance that's Apple, that Apple is taking. I mean, I think they, I mean, they're doing the right thing. Like people, people, businesses, everyone relies on cookies to, to do their jobs. And if you take that out without an alternative or without telling people what the, how to then do the next thing, you know, it's, it's going to wreck and ruin a whole bunch of things. So I think, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do to try and figure it out and tell everyone how to, how it's going to work, but you know, it still needs to, to go. Um, the other iOS 15 thing that I thought was really interesting is how much the pandemic has influenced all of the latest rollouts. Um, and like now pandemic sharing and pandemic, like being together, uh, virtually and not physically is now going to be standard in a lot of the, uh, the iOS apps. Um, the ones for me were, um, around FaceTime where FaceTime is basically going to be your new zoom or teams or whatever you use but rather than just video call and then they brought out multi multi video call it's now going to be the place where you can call someone share your screen um be able to interact uh you can jump on uh with a on a facetime and watch a movie together in real time and and sort of like you know they were like google chrome widgets like netflix party where you could do that but this is going to be all built in seamlessly so you don't have to get any add-ins um so you can experience everything together you can share your screens like if you're browsing zillow on your phone and you want to show your partner your parents whatever it is you can be like facetime them oh hey let me just show you what i'm looking at and you can do that you can share it from your screen so i thought that was a really interesting way how the you know cultural was influencing how people were developing products and you know, making it easier for people to be able to, um, to, to share and, 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 you know, it's great for, you know, me and you, we're not in the same city anymore. We'd be able to do this, you know, post pandemic. So I thought that was a really good way that things, um, things have progressed. Yeah. I love this. I love these updates. And, um, while Apple is rarely first to market with something, I think they look at how, um, how, how people are interacting with these types of features across, other platforms and then they just make it better or more seamless yeah. especially if you're if you're an apple user um if you're in the apple ecosystem i can definitely like the example you brought up is the exact example um i would think of uh when um thinking about sharing my screen like so many times that we were calling 
um, our relatives uh, as we were shopping for houses, wishing that we could just FaceTime them and look together at Zillow at the same time, yeah. kind of share information in real life uh, versus having to actually email email it to them, wait for them to receive it, look at it. You know, like that was a clunky experience. Um, so very, very good, very excited about this. Do you remember when it's coming out, iOS 15? It's in the next few weeks? It's 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 soon. I think I'm not, I don't know. I think the other cool thing that I saw was um, you can take a picture and it'll scan the, scan the picture and it'll pull yes. out all the words from it. So yeah. like if you're, if you have a number written down, you can take a picture of it and you can copy that. Or if you have a recipe or you know something, uh, I thought that was also really good. So it's like really making your, your devices work harder. Yeah. I'm excited about that. We'll see how much uh, uh, we use something like this, but I think that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah. So um, maybe uh, kind of using this theme of, um, of, 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 sh of people be coming together, um, I think on the, on the topic of actually coming together in real life, um, one of the common things that we obviously do is uh, gather around for drinks. And, yep. um, and like, you know, most a lot of times those are alcoholic drinks. Uh, there's been uh, a huge trend in the last few years, and especially I think it accelerated during the pandemic. Um, of non-alcoholic alternatives to booze. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, historically you were limited to pretty crappy, you know, cheap, bad tasting um, experiences. If you went to a bar Heineken, and you wanted to Heineken have... Zero, Poorly Girl. Or you, or, yeah. or, like even think about like, even when those aren't available. I mean, like for the longest time, like in the US, the only non-alcoholic beer, by the way, was like Odul's, which was terrible. Exactly. That's awful. Um, but if, even if you're not thinking about beer, you know, like what what do you order from, uh, you know, some cranberry juice or Coke? Like, you yeah, know, it's, it's always a very sugary, fruity, sweet cocktail, mocktail. Yeah, no one no one wants to drink that in a bar, in a club, like in a in a setting um, when when you're out. And so there's been this move to uh, to find um, really tasty, delicious, uh, legitimate alternatives um, to alcoholic beverages, and uh, we're finally starting to see them. And I, it, yeah. it was funny because usually you and I talk about our um, conversation juice at the beginning of the mm -hmm. show, and you spotted me drinking um, what is actually just um, just a carbonated beverage. It's called Hoplark, and it's a, it it's is a, the bee's knees. Hoplark is, is excellent. So describe it. Like, how would you describe Hoplark? What what is it meant to um, replace? It's. I think it's meant to. I mean, it's the Hoplark is is a hops tea so they have different teas and they brew them with different hops so you have these combinations like you think you've got the calm one which is chamomile yep. and hops and then you've got like the simcoe hops citra hops um and they're all brewed with different teas and i think you know they're in 16 ounce cans i think they you know, this the hops are so delicious and you know if you are someone who likes drinking like a ipas or pale ales or hopped pilsners they do a really good job to give you that hop flavor without the calories, the zero calories because it's tea and hops. Yeah. Gluten-free as well for all your gluten-free your gluten -free fans out there. Um, and they are they're just really delicious. So you can drink them and you know, not feel the effects of alcohol or gluten or calories. And yeah, and I, I love how they uh, say in the back of their can, visit our brewery and tap room in Boulder, Colorado. You know, like yeah. they're positioning themselves as very much like an experiential sort of thing. Like you can experience all of the kind of all of the things that go along with craft uh, craft uh, breweries 
without yeah. actually the the alcohol, which you know I think I think there's definitely a market for that, even among people who do drink alcohol because yeah. you don't want to I mean, like you don't want to be drinking alcohol all the time or you know like you, load up on sixteen cans uh, at your you know company's happy hour. Yeah, I mean I I like it because I like I like the taste of of the of the hops in beers, but I don't I don't want to have to drink a beer to get that taste. So mm-hmm. the hop lock does a great a great thing on that. Also, they do a subscription um, subscription service. They're basically like if you sign, kind of like you know, for a newspaper, if you sign up for you know x amount of weeks, you know, two deliveries a month, for example, mm-hmm. of a twelve of a twelve pack, you get free shipping and it, it's like ten percent cheaper, um, and you can cancel anytime. So, I think that's a really good use of the subscription model, where you know, it, it gives you some discount, but also they just keep arriving and you'll never run out. And I think it's great. Um, another one that you should try on this, um, I mentioned the like the Heineken Zeros and the Pauly Girls, like the terrible non-alcoholic beers where you drink them and you know something's missing and they're, and they're not very good. Athletic Brewing, mm-hmm. they, they act, they look, they feel, they taste like a proper craft beer zero alcohol 70 calories they are absolutely phenomenal for mm-hmm. for what it is and i've had them side by side of athletic brewing and a beer and if you really pay attention you can tell one is different it, it's not as full um as a as an alcoholic as an alcoholic beer but if you don't if you just get handed one you drink it it looks it looks like a it, the can is designed to look like a beer it tastes just like a beer I was so impressed with it. My friend Dan uh, Holland got me onto these. Um, they are absolutely brilliant. You should try them. Um, they're brewed like a beer. They don't taste like they've been extracted from something else. I mean, they're absolutely phenomenal. They do cost the same as a beer, though. So I think this is one thing where I struggle to get my head around. It's like you know, alcohol always is like a premium. You pay more for it. And uh, why should you pay? You know, if you're going to buy a, a non-alcoholic beer and it costs you know eleven dollars a six pack, just buy the the boozy one because you get the booze and you get the kick. But they still have to go through the same process of you know brewing it, packaging it, shipping it, yeah. you know everything. So it should cost the same because they're doing the same amount of work and maybe doing some more work to get rid of the alcohol but keeping the taste. So. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I think I, I'm, I I I think that that's the difference between like a mocktail and a cocktail or, you know, a, a beer and, and just like a generic sort of crappy uh, alcohol-free beer is that a cocktail done with a non-alcoholic uh, substitute that's been developed specifically to uh, mimic something, that takes a lot of skill. It takes uh, new yeah. techniques. It takes a lot of R&D. They should absolutely be able to charge this. On my desk here, I, I was showing this to yeah. you earlier. I yeah, you've you got one. Yeah, I have a beautiful bottle. It's uh, of uh, of of whiskey. It's bourbon. I mean, it's not bourbon because it's alcohol free. It's called um, uh, the brand is called Spiritless, uh, and the uh, and the product is called Kentucky Seventy Four. Kentucky is where all the bourbon gets made. Obviously, it's it was founded by uh, I think it was three guys who worked in the bourbon industry in Kentucky, and they wanted to create uh, an alcohol free alternative. And the way they positioned this brand um, is look. We're not saying like don't drink bourbon, but we're saying that not every drink needs to have the full load of bourbon. You can 
uh, go halvesies with this and it's going to maintain that profile if you're doing like an old fashioned or another bourbon based cocktail, or you can even substitute um, uh, this for bourbon uh, in, its, in its entirety. And so um, again, a beautiful bottle, you'd be proud to display it on your bar at home. I yeah. think it would be, uh, it wouldn't be out of place in a, in a real bar. Um, it costs about 35 bucks. Fun fact, when I ordered it, I had to wait for a month and a half for them to get it back in stock. I think it also tells you something about yeah. um, the demand here. Their customer service could um, could be improved, I have to say. Um, we know someone who can help with that. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, I think first they should listen to one of our episodes about customer service, and then mm -hmm. we, can, we can make all the connections. But listen, I mean, from bourbon to beer to wine, um, this is exploding. I was recently in Albertsons, which is, you know, a chain grocery store. And I was really surprised to see that in their wine section, they have a non-alcohol, um, not, not a shelf, a whole section. And you wow. have wines and liquors and, uh, and a whole bunch of things that they look premium and they feel premium all the way down to things that obviously are cheaper and, and, uh, yeah. and we're always on the, on the bottom shelf. But like it's across every segment at every price point. And it's as as we see, like with uh, with Hoplark, they were only started in 2018. I think this is a trend of only a couple of years. I'm really excited about about uh, the direction this is going. I think this is going to be really really cool. Yeah, I mean, I love I love that example of the um, Kentucky 74 um, being able to fix like a, a Manhattan or a or an old fashioned or a whiskey sour, but mm -hmm. be alcohol free, so you can drink it on a Monday. And you you can retain the flavor of what you want because I don't think you know we are, we're old now, you know before maybe you were trying to drink those to get you know to get the buzz and and to go out but you know we're we're not leaving the house at ten o'clock anymore we're going to bed at ten o'clock but yeah. if you wanted to have like an old fashioned or a Manhattan at home you know before on a Monday you don't really want to get like you know two shots of of whiskey and the and the rest of it you can have one and then you've got you know. You're, you're you're on your way but if you can have it without that that's a that's a i would do that because i want it for the flavor i want to drink it and enjoy the flavors of the beer of the hops of the of the whiskey and i think and i think that there is a as we get back to meeting people in real life um there's something about holding um a drink in your hand right like you're in a backyard party you're at a barbecue um, it kind of feels awkward to stand completely empty handed the whole time, yeah. right? Like, and, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily want to like load up on booze. And so being able to sip a delicious cocktail or a beer alternative and, and, and socialize and re up on that, like have as many as you want without feeling guilty, without becoming mm -hmm. stupid, without risking a DUI, none of those yeah. things, or at the very least, like not having a raging hangover the next day, which is <laughs> like the, the thing I'm yeah. mostly trying to avoid with all of this like that's yeah. the win that's the winner yeah. for me i think i think uh fun fact sometimes um i'll you I'll drink for do, hangovers i i do drink so i can get no i don't drink for the hangover <laughs> no have you that would be that'd be lunacy but yeah i mean i think like you were saying is to hold something and it at functions cocktail parties you know you're out with people you want to hold a drink if you've got a bar that's serving mixed drinks like a gin and tonic or a vodka tonic just get a just get a club soda, throw a lime in there. No one knows. No one knows. Yeah. So you can just be walking around the the original non-alcoholic alcoholic drink. That's 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 very true. That's <laughs> that's your thirty minute CMO top tip for the top week. Top tip. <laughs> but it does it does taste like bubbly water and not like a nice, you know, 
uh, Manhattan. So I would I would go with that one and then still be able to drive home. That would be my, my preferred. There you go. Well, I think this is one of those topics that we'd, I'd love to dive uh, deeper into. Maybe have someone from one of these brands on the show to discuss all of this with us. So we'll see what we can do there. Um, yes. Otherwise, Alex, thank you so much for uh, being a part of it this week again. Um, yeah. And looking forward to the next one of these. 